Before we get into the, the message, I just want to say how, how thankful Sandra and I are to be home with you guys. And uh, it's crazy that we only really missed uh, two Sundays uh, while we were gone. And it feels like so much longer than that. Um, we genuinely missed you guys, missed worshiping with you. And uh, just being back this morning is just, there's nothing like worshiping with your church family. Um, and many of you that have maybe been to churches, other places, as you've traveled or been on vacation and things like that, uh, you've kind of experienced that. But there's nothing like, um, and we were at some great churches. Uh, we experienced some great time of fellowship with the body of Christ. But there's just nothing like uh, being home. Amen. And so I just want to say thank you so much for being here this morning. And uh, we have so been appreciative of all the prayers, uh, the support that we had while we were gone. Um, some of you maybe didn't even know we were leaving. Um, that's okay. That's kind of how we wanted it. Um, and so uh, there's a reason behind that I'll get to maybe later or just ask me. Um, but we had opportunity to, uh, I just want to share a little bit about what we experienced before we get into the message. And uh, if you were praying for us, uh, you kind of knew what was going on or at least an idea of what was going on. And so thank you so much for your prayers. Um, somebody asked me or uh, made a comment about how did you enjoy your vacation this last week and a half or so. And I just smiled, you know, because you just want to appreciate people where they are. But I said, uh, I said, well, I, I don't know if it was a vacation. I said, have you ever been to youth camp? Have you ever gone to teen camp or youth camp? And they said, well, no. And I said, well, if you ever go, you're going to find out it's not really a vacation. Like, and once you experience it, it's not really a vacation. But it was a great opportunity. Um, uh, Sandra and I were asked to uh, come out to uh, actually the churches in uh, Las Vegas. And so we flew to Las Vegas. And then they kind of put on a camp. Uh, a teen youth camp in uh, Southern California. And so we flew to Vegas, and then we drove to, to Anaheim where the camp was, and then uh, I was the camp speaker for the week. I did that for the week there, and Sandra and I were so thankful to be able to do that. Uh, we got to spend a lot of time with the students uh, pretty much every day, Monday through really Saturday, I guess, of the camp. Um, we were from about 7.30 till about 11.30 or midnight, we were with somebody doing something, with the kids, with the leaders, with the counselors, in classes, teaching, doing something. And so it was an amazing week. And so I'm so thankful for the prayers uh, that you guys prayed over us and encouraged us with. And uh, we're just thankful for that. Uh, let you know a little bit about what your prayers did. Um, not only did we get there safely and return safely, we had some interesting situations arise. Um, one of which was we decided to go to a local park in Anaheim and play uh, a game called Marshmallow Wars Capture the Flag. And some of you saw those pictures on Facebook. Um, it was awesome until the police showed up and escorted us out of the park. So it was great right up to that point. Park is closed. Oh, okay, got to go. Um, so, no, it was really great to experience just all the fun we had. Um, cool stuff. Three students uh, during the week accepted Christ as their Savior, three of the students at camp. Um, we had two students uh, surrendered to full-time ministry, um, one of which a young man's going into youth ministry and another young woman that wants to take more of a serious leadership role within the youth group. And so they stepped up for that. We also had many other life decisions, recommitments, uh, things like that that happened during the week. It was a small camp, um, but God really moved. And uh, I don't have time to go into all the details of what on went before the camp and all of that, uh, but there was a lot of negativity that went into this camp as far as some of the leadership uh, of these churches. Some of them weren't really wanting to do the camp. Some were kind of against it. Others really pushed through to have it happen. And so we're so thankful that it happened because those students found Christ. They were able to recommit themselves to Christ, and so it was great. Uh, we also had one young woman that made a huge life decision um, that I'll get to here at the end of the message and share a little bit more about that. But I just want to say again, thank you so much for your prayers. Um, it was crazy hot 
in Vegas. How many people have been to Las Vegas? Raise your hand. Las Vegas, a few people, okay. Um, we left here on the 22nd. Uh, the high that day was 77. Okay, we left here. We flew to Las Vegas. We landed at 9.30 their time. We get off the plane, it's 102 degrees. Like, you walk outside, and it's just like, like it's hot, okay? And by the way, that dry heat stuff, somebody lied to you or to me because there's no such thing as 106 is 106, right? Like, there's no such thing as a dry, it's just, oh, it's not, it's humid. Yeah, but it's a 1,000 degrees. Like, my skin is boiling right now. But it was an awesome opportunity. We really got to develop some good relationships, and so um, thank you so much for that. And so thank you also to Greg. I know he's not with us this morning. Um, he's actually becoming an evangelist, apparently, because he's actually, um, he's actually uh, uh, filling the pulpit this morning for Pastor Nathan Whipple. Um, up at his church. And so, um, and so Greg, we're going to put him on a circuit. He's going to start traveling churches. It's going to be great. Um, but no, I'm so thankful for Greg and just his heart for the Lord. Um, tremendous young man, and I heard he did a tremendous job. And so, so thankful for his words that he shared with you and with the church. And so I pray that he was a blessing to you, as I'm sure he was. Um, also, let me just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much uh, as a church family for stepping up with uh, Sharon Brown's funeral. Um, and all that went into that. Uh, we're so thankful to have Milo with us as well as the family here. And uh, when we got that text, it was really kind of heartbreaking uh, to not be able to be here. But I'm so thankful because I, literally uh, we got it a lot later in time as far as, or rather, rather earlier, however that works. I still don't understand. I'm so messed up still from the time change thing. I don't know what's going on. Um, but we got that at a different time, obviously, very early in the morning. And so, but it was so comforting uh, you know, we, we talked about it for a few moments there and, and had some prayer. And then that night at chapel, we actually had the entire camp pray for the Brown family and for Kelly and Kenny and just the whole family. And, um, but it was so comforting to know that, that we didn't have to worry about what was going to happen. We just had great trust and that the Lord was going to use our church and our church family and Pastor Tom to do a tremendous job to encourage and to comfort. And so thank you so much. As a pastor, there's no greater peace or joy to know that, that even if I'm not here, um, you guys just step up and you just go with it and you run with it and you do a great job at it. And so thank you so much for that um, because what you did this, with that, that experience uh, was, was you were the church. You didn't just talk a good talk. You got up and you were the church. And so thank you for that. Thank you for stepping up and uh, continue to pray for that family, uh, all that happened there. Um, we're just so thankful to have Milo with us this morning. And so continue to pray for him and the family there. And so uh, this morning, what I want to get into um, real quick is something that I think has kind of been on my heart for a little while now, and I'm not really sure how to put it in words. And this last week, the Lord kind of gave me uh, this scripture and kind of led me down this road. And so I'm so thankful that you're able to experience this morning in the Word of God. And let's look at it together, James chapter 4 and verse 17. James chapter 4 and verse 17. Uh, I want to talk about something this morning that, that truly I pray the Holy Spirit will use to encourage and even maybe convict us this morning. Um, James 4.17, I'm going to read it in just a moment. But I don't know about you, but there's some times where uh, I think all of us uh, need a little bit of a time to just kind of refocus. A time to kind of just put things back in perspective. Maybe a time to get a little, um, maybe our heart right time is what I would call it. Just get, make sure everything's in line, everything's where it needs to be. Um, because we need to sometimes remember that, that we can get caught up in this life and just living life and, and we can begin to make decisions or get down in habits or, or patterns of living that don't necessarily 
follow what Christ's leadership would lead us into. And so I want to make sure this morning, I want to take some time, and it's going to be a very simple message, very simple time this morning, but I want to just simply uh, reflect over our own lives individually. Uh, Is there anything that God is trying to get our attention on? Is there anything that we need to make right with him? Is there anything that we need to kind of confess of and repent and make sure that we are in the right focus with him. And so this morning, that's what I want to kind of do this morning. It's, it's a real simple message. But look at verse 17 with me this morning. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for this time that we can gather together. Lord, we pray that you would just move, lead, guide, and direct. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just have freedom this morning to to just uh, speak into our lives. Father, I pray you'd be with me as, as, uh, as I speak this morning. I pray that I would just say what you want me to say. That I wouldn't get in your way or I wouldn't hinder what you're trying to do in people's lives. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would lead me, that you would lead all of us. If there's anyone in this room this morning that that you've been working on them, they need to make a decision, they need to surrender something in their lives. Maybe there's a, a habit that they're holding on to, an addiction. Father, maybe there's somebody in here that's that's harboring unforgiveness in their life. Somebody that is just distracted from the things you'd have them to focus on. I pray that this morning would be a time of just evaluation, a time of introspection, that we would just take a moment. It's so hard during the days of our life to to take just time and focus on you. We get so busy. It seems like every day can get filled so quickly. And so this morning, if it's just for the next 40 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, Lord, that we would just be in stillness before you allowing you to speak to us. Thank you for your word, the power and the freedom that it brings into our lives. We pray that you would lead God and direct. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This little verse has been quoted many, many times. Um, Maybe you're here this morning and as a parent or a grandparent, you've quoted it to your children or grandchildren when they don't want to clean up their room. You know what I'm saying? You know the Bible says, those that know to do good and do it not, it is sin. And your little six or seven-year-old gets that big-eyed look, and they run and clean their room. Okay, I'm sure none of us would ever use Scripture that way. We would never take Scripture and try to use it for our own gain. Never, ever, ever, never do that. But this verse is so powerful, and it has many applications. Okay, It can be applied many different ways, depending on the situation. But I truly believe, and this is something I've always held to, a professor way back in Bible college taught us this, and I truly believe it. Every single Bible verse has one meaning. It only has one interpretation. A Bible verse cannot have multiple meanings and multiple interpretations. What would that make if it has multiple interpretations? What would that lead people into? Confusion, right? You've ever heard this said before? Well, that means that to you, but it doesn't mean that to me. You ever hear that? I know what people mean when they say that. What they're really meaning is, I'm not applying that this way or that way. I don't think it means that. I disagree with your meaning. But that's not what we say. We say, oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't mean that to me. It means that to you. That's going to lead into confusion. Is God the author of confusion? No. So then his word should never lead us into confusion. 
So every Bible verse has one meaning. Once we understand that meaning, now we can apply it in different situations, right? We talked about this a lot with the Twisted series back here a while ago. And this verse is an example of that. I believe this has one meaning, one interpretation, but it can be applied in different ways, okay? An example would be, let's say God convicts you in a certain area, okay? Or you develop a conviction in a certain area, maybe because of your past or your background or experiences or whatever. And you feel really strongly about this conviction, but it's not a conviction that's laid out black and white in Scripture, Okay, I'll pick on one that I know most people can kind of go with, movies. Okay, You may have a conviction that you don't go to the movies because God is, you feel like God has convicted you that, you know what, I don't want to see that stuff. I don't want to you know, go to those things. I want to support that, the Hollywood stuff and all that. Totally fine. You can have that conviction. You may meet another Christian, Christian B, that doesn't have that conviction, that goes to the movies, however, uses wisdom and discernment to make sure what they watch at the movies is pleasing, okay, to the Lord or, or doesn't lead them into temptation or to wrong thinking. Both of those Christians have convictions, just differing convictions. And so for the one that doesn't go to the movies and he feels like he would be doing wrong if he went to the movies, if you force him into the movie and you make him go because, come on, it's just a movie, what's the big deal? You would be causing him to sin against his own conscience, to make a sin against his own beliefs, his own convictions, and he would be looking at this going, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth and not to him is sin. Good for that man is I don't go to the movies. So in his mind, to go to the movies would be a sin. That's an application of the verse. Okay? You guys following me so far? I don't want to lose you guys. I don't want to confuse anybody. But we're going to walk this verse out. However, I think there's something deeper to this verse. I think there's something more than just a surface application. And so I want to give you the, kind of what I see as the meat of the verse, and then we can break down that, and then maybe we can apply it even more effectively. The verse starts off with, in verse 17, it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. There's a really old saying, if you see the word therefore, you have to figure out what it's there for, okay? So if it's therefore, what does that tell us? That something before verse 17 is what he's connecting verse 17 to. You guys with me? Okay, so he says in verse 17, therefore, why is that there? What is that applying? What is that connecting to? We have to ask a question of what is before verse 17 that we need to read to understand what it's there for? And then he uses another word that we have to understand. He says, therefore, to him that knows to do good. Now let's stop right there. Good is a word that can be taken many different ways in our culture, Right? What one person deems good, another person may not deem good. Or they may not think is healthy or, or, or valuable. Okay, I'll give you an example. One person may think it's completely good to lie to someone if it's to spare their hurt feelings. You ever hear this? Well, I lied, but it was so I didn't hurt your feelings. Then they're saying to lie in that case is actually good. So we got to be careful there. What does good mean in this verse? How do we know what the good is that James is talking about? We have to go back and read verse or chapter 4. Now, for time's sake, we're not going to read all of chapter 4. But I want to look at chapter 4 real quick because I truly believe that the good in verse 17 is explained before verse 17. It's explained in the verse. Now, let me just back up here. Why is it so important we understand this? 
Why do I have to understand what is good? Because the Bible says if I don't do what is good, however it's defined in this verse, then I, the opposite is what? Sin. So if I want to please God and not give into sin, which is missing the mark, which is deviating from the divine will, from God's divine plan, if I don't want to do that, then I better understand what good is, right? You guys with me so far? Other thing we have to understand. This entire chapter, this entire book is written to the church. Now there's been some confusion on that. Oh, no, no, it's not written to the church. It's written to uh, only to Jewish believers. It's not written to the Gentile believers. When you read chapters 1 and 2, it implies that it's written to the brothers in Christ, the brethren. This is the local church. And by the way, in the early church, there was no division between Jewish and Gentile believers in Christ. Paul says that. He says what? There's no difference. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ, right? You guys with me? Okay. It's so important we understand this. This is written to believers, those that are in Christ. So that would then tell me that a believer can commit sin. And as a follower of Christ, if my, my desire, my heart's cry is to please God in everything, not because I need it to earn salvation, but because I've been saved by grace, therefore I desire to please him, I want to do what is good because I want to honor him and glorify him, then I need to understand what is the good that he's asking me to do. Again, not so that I can get saved through the or do works to be saved, but because I am saved, I should be living in such a way that is called good. And right here, this is where we try to make excuses, right? This is where we try to make, well, it doesn't really mean this, and doesn't really mean that. And what I mean is, well, I'm saved by grace, therefore, does it really matter what I do? I mean, I can do whatever I want, right? I can sin and get away with it, because that's grace. I mean, is that what grace means? Is that what it means to be saved by grace? The Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The book of James is writing to us an encouragement to the church. Listen, God has a will and a plan for your life. And to follow that plan, you need to honor God in these things and avoid what is sinful and follow what is good. But we do this a lot. When we read a scripture that we don't like because we don't want to do what is good, because sometimes sin, actually all the time sin is more fun, right? It's way more pleasurable to do sin than to do good. And when we read verses like this, we make excuses really, really quick. Oh, that good, that's not talking to me. That's works-based. That's not talking to me. I don't have to do that. We do the same thing with the phrase, the fear of God. You ever hear this with the fear of God? You read that. Proverbs 1.7. One, yeah, 1.7. It says what? The beginning of knowledge is the what? The fear of God. And we'll go, whoa, 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 whoa. That fear doesn't really mean fear. That fear doesn't mean scared of, right? Don't we do this? It doesn't mean scared of. It means reverence and respect. Do you ever hear this? It's true. That's what the word means. But what does that reverence look like before the holy God? What did it look like with Isaiah before the throne of God? What did that reverence look like? It sure looked a lot like fear. What does it look like in the New Testament? What does it look like throughout all of Scripture when somebody is found before the throne of God? It says they fall on their face like dead men. I would call that being afraid. Not, God, don't smack me and punish me afraid, but God, you are so holy and so powerful and so mighty. I just must humble myself down. We, do this, we make excuses for Scripture. Well, God doesn't want me to be afraid of him. No, he doesn't want you to be afraid of him, but you need to honor and worship and, and respect and revere him in a humbling way. 
Here the Bible says, if you are not doing good, you are in sin. And so I want to walk through this this morning. I want to ask, are we doing good as followers of Christ? Not to be followers of Christ, meaning we're already saved through grace, but as a follower of Christ, am I evaluating as the Holy Spirit leads, guides, and directs, and saying, am I doing good to please God? Or am I falling into sin and sinful ways of thinking and living? This chapter gets very practical in chapter 4, dealing with our daily lives and mindsets. So what does it encourage us to follow? What is chapter 4 dealing with? Again, we're not going to go into every single verse for time's sake. And I encourage you to read the chapter on your own, obviously, this week or maybe even today. And when you start in the beginning of the chapter, I'm just going to kind of give you all the summary points of the chapter. These are the things that James chapter 4 deals with up to verse 17. Okay? Some would also say it's actually the entire book up to chapter, seven, chapter 4. So it would be verses or chapters 1, 2, and 3 as well as chapter 4. But let's just, let's just say that James was pointing out verse 17 to reference chapter 4. Because there seems to be a break at some point here in the text. So what does chapter 4, just chapter 4, talk about? First of all, it talks about praying with the right motivation and the right heart. Praying with the right motivation and the right heart. Now that's tough to do, isn't it? You can be honest this morning. Is, is it hard to always pray with the right motivation and the right heart? What do you think a number one tendency is for Christians in their prayer life as far as the wrong motivation or the wrong heart? Give me some answers. What do you think is something we might struggle with in regards to our motivation in prayer or our heart in prayer? Okay, well, that's, well yeah, we, we do fall short of the glory, right? But when I'm praying with Christ and I'm trying to, trying to pray with the right motivation, what might sneak into my prayer life, according to James? Selfishness, greed, right? How about bitterness? You ever pray a prayer like this? God, I wish you would just fix him, and once you fix him, everything would be fine. Whoa! That was just like a shotgun blast of bitterness, right, all over your prayer. But I prayed about it, so it's good. I'm good. God, that person, man, they're just really dumb. Could you make them smarter? <laughs> wrong motivation, wrong prayer, okay? God, I really, really want that house. Could you just give me that house? I know I can't really afford it. The payments are going to be way too much, but if you could just give me that house, I'd really appreciate it. Because if I get that house, then I'll feel like I'm valuable, worthy, and then my neighbors will be really jealous of me. That's what James says. You pray all these things. You ask amiss. You ask that you can consume it upon your own lusts. Why would God ever answer a prayer that's going to glorify you and lead you into a snare, a trap, in temptation as far as your wealth? Now, he might bless you with wealth, but why does he bless us with wealth? We talked about this. So that we can bless others. So we got to pray. James says, pray with the right motivation, the right heart. Then he says, not to be consumed with the desires of this world. Now, that's a tough one. In our culture, it's so tough to not be consumed with the desires of this world. Then he goes on to say, stay faithful to Christ, not committing spiritual adultery. Stay faithful to Christ, not committing spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery is any time that I elevate something else in God's place as number one. See, we worship naturally. And sometimes in life, we might begin to worship ourselves. We begin to worship other people. And how we do that is we begin to please them more than we desire to please God. And so we don't elevate Christ to that number one spot in our lives. We're not faithful to him. We violate that faithfulness to him, and we start serving and loving other things. What does Jesus say about a love of money? He says you can't love God and money or wealth 
You can't have two masters. So when James says to be faithful to him, not to commit spiritual adultery, it means he is number one in my life and I'm faithful to him, first and foremost. Then he goes on to say to humble ourselves, to draw close to the Lord, admitting my sins. Can I tell you right now, there's nothing cooler or more amazing or more exciting than to know that if we would just humble ourselves, we can draw close to the very presence of God himself. Did you ever think about that? Man, when we humble ourselves, and I can't help but humble myself when I realize who he is. When you know who God is in your life and you know who God is and the God of the word of God, man, we just elevate him so high. And I realize we don't beat ourselves up. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking the right way about yourself in the midst of who God is. It's realizing, God, you are so mighty and so holy and so just and so loving and gracious. And I'm not any of those things. I just come before you and I just worship you. And James says, when you humble yourself, not in pride, but in humility, you can draw right close to him. You can come into his presence and be in communion with him in the presence of God himself. He goes on to say also, just in chapter 4, we're not even done yet, by the way. If you're thinking, this is the good so far. So I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get a little worried. Then he says this, do not speak evil of each other. Don't criticize or judge each other. Now, let me just make a little side note here from the Twisted series we talked about this. Judging is a topic that gets thrown, that word gets thrown on a lot, right? Oh, don't judge me. Hey, don't judge. Don't, don't you judge me. You can't judge me. Whoop, whoop, judging, right? Like it's like we got it in the holster just ready to go. Galatians 6.1 apparently isn't in those people's Bible. When it says, if you see somebody who has fallen, you that are spiritual, come alongside them and pick them up. How can I come alongside and pick somebody up without telling them, hey, you're, you're down, can I help you up? Well, you're judging me. You're laying on your back. Yeah, but you can't judge me. I mean, think about it. It's silly, right? Like, it's just silly. That's not what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, you with the beam and the moat. We talked about that in the Twisted series, but just real quick. He says, you've got that beam in your eye. And you're going to go to your brother who has a little speck of sawdust in his eye. And you're going to say, excuse me, you've got a little something right here. Can I help you with that? How silly. The guy's going to go, dude, you've got a two by four in your eye. Why are you worried about me? That's that kind of hypocritical judging that Jesus says, don't do that. But instead, take the beam out of your eye. Make sure your heart is right before the Lord. And then the Bible says, and then you will know how to help your brother. See, it doesn't say we can't go to our brother or sister in Christ and lovingly and graciously and humbly help them. But by the way, at that time, if they're in sin and you're going to them trying to help them, they're going to see that as judging, by the way. They might even get defensive. They might even shut down. They might even say, you don't even know. Who are you to tell me that? You think you're so perfect. Some of you have experienced this in your own families. Friends, neighbors, coworkers, you see Christians that are falling in sin, you go to them lovingly, graciously, and they reject it. Well, who are you to judge me? And we have to understand that this judging that James talks about is not this gracious, humble, come alongside, let me help you kind of judging. It's a judging where I come in there arrogantly, superficially. I don't even have a relationship. I'm just going to tell you and criticize you and condemn you. That's the kind of judging that James says we should avoid. We told our students again, and it's something that we've talked about a lot at our church, but we told our students down at camp, I say our students, the students, 
they feel, like, they feel like our students, though, after just the time we got to know them. We don't need critics in our life. We need coaches in our life. Every one of us needs a coach, but nobody needs a critic. There's a big difference between a coach and a critic. A coach tells you what you need to hear so that you can be all you can be for Christ, thinking spiritually. A critic tells you what they want you to hear so that you can be more like them and what they think you should be. And we need coaches. But what James is saying is in the church, we don't need critics. We can't be criticizing and condemning each other. We need to be lovingly supporting each other, which may sound like judging. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, this is going to sound like judgment. And it is. But it's not my judgment. I'm just relaying the message. The Bible says that if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that your sin will be paid for by your separation from him for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's his judgment call, not mine. And the grace is when he says, even so, you're you're a sinner and you've sinned and you've broken God's laws, but even so, the grace of God is there to say, if you would just receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you'd be forgiven of all sin and set on your way for heaven. See, that's a judgment call. And so often we throw that word around, don't, don't judge, don't judge. Man, I think the churches in our country have watered down the truth so much in fear of appearing judgmental. But I, if I can be honest with you, when you go to somebody that doesn't know Christ and you say, the Bible says that you're on your way for a place called hell, and you say that in a loving way, I'm, I'm kind of summarizing it, you say it in a loving way, gracious way, but Jesus loves you, he died for you, he wants to save you from your sins, that person is going to look at you and say, you're judging me. And you are. But I'm still thankful that when I was 16 at Camp Chautauqua in Miamisburg, Ohio, that the pastor got up there and he judged me, in a sense, and said, you need Jesus in your life. And I was able to come forward and bend a knee and receive Christ as my Savior and find eternal life. And I'm so thankful he wasn't worried about offending me. He wasn't worried about hurting my feelings. Because he loved me so much, he told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. And many of you, it's the same way. You, you needed to hear the truth of the gospel. It's not about beating people up or, or tearing people down. It's about telling them the truth of the gospel. You see, do not speak evil of each other. I truly believe that in the early church, all the way through today, gossip, backbiting, and bitterness have always been a problem. And I've said it before, man, gossip is the cancer that will kill a church. Because it gets inside the church and it just begins to spread little by little. And all of a sudden you don't even realize it, that you're caught up in a gossip situation. He says, don't speak evil of each other. No, instead of speaking evil of each other, why don't we build each other up and edify each other? Speak things that give grace and mercy and edification and build up each other. Man, if we can't get built up here, we're not going to get built up out there. Man, this is the place, this is the hospital, if you will, where we need to come for healing and restoration to be lifted up. Because listen, no matter what you've done, God is still for you. He is not against you. And if you know him as your Lord and personal Savior, he has a purpose and a plan in everything that you go through. I don't understand that, but man, he does. So when you see someone struggling in a situation or see somebody not where you think they should be, 
Don't criticize. Don't speak evil of them. Go speak things of, of positive nature into their life. Love on them and encourage them. Lastly, James chapter 4 encourages us to realize that our life is a vapor. That we are to live each day by his will and grace, not in pride, but by humility. He says that in chapter 4, that your life is a vapor. The best way to describe that vapor that he's talking about is you ever boil water? How many people boiled water? Anybody mess up boiling water before? Like you just let it go too long? It just keeps going? Amen. I've been there. I've been there. Making some mac and cheese. You get a little distracted. You go back. I thought there was water in this pan. Um, it's just gone. All the water's gone. The pan's just singed. Anyway, it was a horrible day. Um, I wasn't married yet. That's why. So now she does all the cooking. Just here you go. Um, that water, when you're boiling that water, that steam, when it leaves the water, right, right at the surface of the water and then into the air, just before it dissipates into the air and you can't see it anymore, that time of, that span of time, that's your life, according to James. That steam that rises up and then disappears, that's your life, according to James. Man, the Bible is so clear on this. We don't have forever this side of heaven. So we need to live in a way this side of heaven that we realize we're making investments for eternity because our life is short in understanding eternity. And James says, why would you ever be so arrogant to think, oh, we're just going to go do this tomorrow and that tomorrow, and we're going to go and buy and sell and have great gain. And he says, don't you realize just that quick it could be gone? Just that quick it could be taken from you. You have to make investments today, and you say, if the Lord will, we'll go and do this. See, the, the point in that whole three, four verses there, it talks about the Lord will and, and going into the city. It's not saying that we have to literally say, like, at dinner tonight, uh, if the Lord will, would you pass me the mashed potatoes? Uh, if the Lord will, would you hand me a glass of water? Like, that's not his point, okay? Some of you are going to be smart. You're going to go to lunch today, and you're going to do that. If the Lord will, can I have a refill on my Pepsi, please? Okay? That's not his point. His point is, are we thinking about, is this going to please God, or is this going to dishonor God? God, if you give me the grace and the strength to go through another day, may I live it for your glory. That's the point of what James is saying. That's the argument that he's making about your life being a vapor, being short. But so many of us rush right into a day, and we never even stop to think about approaching his throne. We never even get up in the morning. We get up in the morning, we just go, 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 go. We get to the end of the day, and we go, oh, God, I hope that everything I did today pleased you. Man, wouldn't it be wiser it's not required, it's not a law, but wouldn't it be wiser to start your day off by saying, God, would you give me wisdom to please you today? Rather than waiting till the end of the day and just hoping you did okay? I'm telling you, when you start off the day with him and his presence, the whole day changes. James is saying, would you come humbly through a day and saying, God, if you will this, may you be pleased in all these things. So those things that I just listed, just those few things, that's the good that we are called to live out. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a tough list. That's a tough list. Not be consumed with the desire of the world. Pray with the right motivation and the right heart. Stay faithful to Christ. Humble yourself. Draw close to the Lord. Admit your sins. Do not speak evil of each other, criticizing or judging each other. Realize your life is a vapor. Live each day by his will and grace. That's a lot to take through the course of a day. James says, if we do not do those things, it is sin. That's it. If you don't do those things that I just listed daily, moment by moment, it's sin. Is it possible 
Can it be done? The answer, absolutely it can be done. Do you know why I know it can be done? Because it can be done through Jesus Christ. Listen, if, if it was just you, you'd never do it. You can't do it. You can't do, the, you can't do one of those things with the right heart, the right mind, the right attitude, let alone all of them, without Jesus Christ. But with Christ, with his Holy Spirit, and with the power of his word, you could see every day live to the glory of God and see his name praised over and over again. And all of a sudden, you see lived out what he said in Matthew chapter 5, where he said, let your, your works, let your life shine before men, that they'll glorify your Father in heaven. And we read stuff like this, we're like, oh, I could never do that. Man, I could never do that. I could never do that. You can't do it. But by his grace by his mercy, by his filling of his Holy Spirit, and by the power of the word of God, you can live each day to his glory. I love what the Westminster Confession says about the chief end of man. The chief end of man, the whole goal of our life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you know how you glorify God and enjoy him forever? You enjoy glorifying him. And when you glorify, you enjoy him. This is a beautiful picture of how we can live this life to his praise. But man, we get so distracted, don't we? We get so wrapped up on our own things. We stop thinking about the glory of God and we start thinking about the glory of us. Our schedules, our, our meetings, our, our situations, our life. So what is the first step to doing good? If we know we can do it through the power of Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit, and the word of God, then what's the first step? If you know Christ is your Savior, you already have Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit. So you already have everything you need equipped within you. You already have it. But what do we need to do? What action do we need to take? Because this is again where we go, oh man, I'm so thankful that Jesus will just do it through me through the Holy Spirit. I don't have to do anything. No, no, no. There's a choice to be made here. You have to make a choice as a follower of Christ. James chapter 1. Go to verse 21 of James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Again, if you've never read the book of James, it's a powerful book. Uh, it's a wisdom literature is what it's kind of considered as, meaning that it has a lot about practical wisdom. If you've ever read the book of Proverbs, excuse me, in the Old Testament, James is the New Testament kind of sister book to Proverbs. They kind of go hand in hand. Listen to James chapter 1 verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And I love those four verses. There's so much power there. Do you see that he's saying here, the first step after receiving Christ and having his Holy Spirit is to be a doer of the word. How do I know to do good? How do I do good? It all starts with the word of God. It says there in verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own 
ourselves. People will say, well, I'm so glad I'm saved by grace. I don't have to do that verse. No, no, no. If you look at the verse before, it talks about salvation, and then it talks about doing the work of the word. He's not saying that unbelievers and the law need to try to do the word. He's saying, as believers, I must not be a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word. The knowledge of salvation and how to live this life are both found in his word. We must not merely hear the word to us, but we must apply the word of God to our lives. Being a doer of the word will bring good and blessed deeds into my life, which will reflect his grace and his glory. The choice you make to not just hear the word of God, but to live the word of God by his grace will keep you from sin. Do you know the number one difference between Christians and non-Christians that I think would be the most evident sign that we have something that they should want? Is when they see us living apart from sin. When they see us living separate lives. Not as monks, not hiding in our churches, not hiding in our homes, but as separate People, or people that live separately from the world, word, world, living by his word, glorifying him in all things. I think when we see that happening in our lives, then they'll see a difference. But the greatest mark against Christianity is when somebody claims to be a Christian but lives the exact same way as the world. Oh, no, no, you need my Jesus. Here, Jesus will save you from your sins. You need my Jesus. And they look at your life and they see no difference than the rest of the world. Your motivations, your desires, your lusts, it's all just let run loose in your life. Your language, how you live, how you treat other people. Listen, if you're here and you can't be nice to somebody for five minutes while you're standing at a counter getting some food, but then you're going to tell them about Jesus? I've seen so many Christians get so frustrated because they didn't get their burger fast enough. Heaven forbid you have to wait five extra minutes for your burger. I mean, do you see what I'm saying here? I w- I, I've been at restaurants with Christians before. Not recently. It was a while ago. But I was sitting at a table, and this waitress was working her tail off. Five or six tables just running crazy. And it took her a little while longer than probably it should have to get some refills to our table. And the Christian at the table, oh, I can't believe this. I can't believe they would hire somebody like this. She's doing such a horrible job. Blah, 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 blah. Man, this girl was killing herself trying to serve everybody. And the Christian's going to criticize because I want my food. Don't you know I deserve that? Do you see what I'm saying? Man, we need to live in a way that's different. How about you be the one that goes up to the waitress and says, I just want to say thank you for all your hard work today. Man, I know you're running yourself crazy. I don't even know how you do it, but thank you for your service today. Do you know what that would do for a waitress or somebody in that food industry? Man, my wife used to work at McDonald's when you were, what, 16, right? She said she met the meanest people at McDonald's. You tell somebody that they can't have a McMuffin at 1031. They lose their mind. It's like, go home, fry up some eggs, you'll be fine. Relax. Now, I don't know if any of them were Christians, but I wouldn't be surprised when I was at Baptist Bible College, we used to do a job fair every, every fall. All the college students or people that have been to college know you need a job, right? Like, so they would do a job fair at our, at our big um, student center. And we'd go in there. There'd be all these tables set up. And our president got up one time before the job fair and literally like just kind of verbally whipped us up one side down the other about character, integrity, work hard, 
Be diligent for your employer. Because there were businesses that stopped sending people to the job fair because they didn't want to hire BBC students. Because they found that the Christian students worked less, uh, more, less for the money and worked less hours and whined more and complained more than the people that didn't even go to church. They said, we don't want to hire any of your students because we've done that before and they weren't the greatest workers. So we're not going to send anybody out there anymore. I'm talking about a testimony you don't want. Do you see what I'm saying? These are just little examples of what, how we need to live differently. We need to be doers of the word. So many people sit in church and they hear great messages by great men all over the country. Not this one, but others. And they preach the word of God with passion. And people sit there and go, wow, oh yeah, 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 that's a good point. And they get in the car, they go home, and nothing changes because they're just hearers of the word. Can I tell you what the Bible says? Be very careful if you're slipping into being just a hearer of the word because the next step is you'll grow dull in hearing. Hebrews says that those that grow dull in hearing will begin to accumulate to themselves teachers that say what they want to hear. See, the first step is we stop doing, we just start listening. And then the next step is we even get tired of listening to the truth and we start listening to false truth because it makes us feel better. And it's terrifying to me to see Christians that sit in a church that read the Bible for themselves, that study the Word of God and go, oh, wow, that's great. And they move on. And James says, if you are a hearer and not a doer, you're only deceiving yourself. Do you notice who you're not deceiving? You're not deceiving Christ. You're not deceiving God because he knows. And I know this is kind of a hard message. I know this is kind of tough stuff. But we have to get serious about this thing because I believe we've got a job to do. We need to be showing people Christ, sharing with people the message of Christ so that they'll come to know him and we'll add to the kingdom of God for eternity. Because I do believe that sin will be paid for. Either you accept the payment Christ put on your life in him through faith, or you pay for it yourself, eternally separated from Christ in eternal punishment. I believe that. And because I believe that, I think we need to get busy doing the work of the word. The word tells us to share that with everybody, to preach the gospel to every creature. Teach all nations, the Bible says. And we hear that and we go, oh yeah. But I mean, that's for someone else, right? Pray for your leaders. Oh yeah, but that's for someone else. That's for the prayer warriors in the church. That's not for me. We must realize that to do the good that we are called to do as followers of Christ, we must be doers of the word. But how are we going to be doers of the word? How in the world can I do that? Well, it starts with, first of all, knowing the word. You can't do the word if you don't know it. And you're not going to know it unless you read it. I've said it before, Bible study and prayer, the two most fundamental kind of characteristics of the Christian life are the most neglected in the, in the average Christian life. He who knows to do good, the Bible says, you see, this is another way we know this is speaking to believers here, not the world. Because unbelievers don't know to do good. Believers know to do good. Unbelievers can do good things, but not things that would please the Lord. You see, it's not a lack of knowledge for most of us. Most of us know the good we're supposed to do. Most of us have read this book or have been taught this book for years. But it's not the knowledge that we're lacking. It's the application. It's the lack of application. One author said it well. Knowledge without practice 
is imputed to a man as great and presumptuous sin. Knowledge without practice is imputed to a man as great and presumptuous sin. We hear the word of God. We know it's truth, and yet we ignore it because we choose to do things that we desire to do, not things that are good. You have a choice to make as a follower of Christ today. Will you continue to do what you want to do, or will you make a choice to do good to the glory of God? Will you decide today to choose to honor God in these things as a follower of Christ? This morning, I wanted to keep it very simple. And here's why. Because I want it simple, because I want us to respond to the message. Now, I'm not saying you have to come forward or bend a knee. I'm saying I just want, even in your seats, I want you to just take a moment and just stop and say, God, is there anything in me that displeases you? Is there any thoughts or any action or any habit that I have right now that's displeasing to you? Is there anything that I'm not doing that you're calling me to do that I'm just kind of ignoring that call, doing all the right things per se, but I'm not doing what you've called me to do, so therefore I think I'm good? I mean, where are you with God right now? What is he trying to encourage you with? If you know you are not doing good as a follower of Christ because you are hearing the word of God but not doing it, then I want to encourage you. You need to respond this morning. And don't wait. And so many of us wait. But if he is convicting, if he is leading, if he is guiding you through his Holy Spirit, you need to respond. I would encourage you to come forward, bend a knee, spend a moment in prayer, repent of whatever that is that he is convicting you of or leading you into. Find forgiveness, find grace and restoration. Leave it here, leave it in your seats. Go out and live the life that he's called you to live because he's already equipped you with everything you need to do it. I told you that there was a student at camp that made a decision, and I shared it a little bit with some already. But it was such a powerful thing to see happen right in front of our eyes. And I'm not taking all the credit for it because some, God was already working in this young woman's life long before we got there. The church we went with in Vegas does something they call tour. So they have a drama team, 12, maybe 13 kids, a couple leaders, and they travel around doing dramas and skits and some things to sign language or music to sign language, things like that. And they travel around and do these things when they have these students and they're required to have expectations on them and they must live in a way that honors God. One of these girls, she decided about six months ago to enter into a uh, relationship with another, another girl. She's 15, I believe. And so for the last six months or so, she's had this girlfriend and they've been dating for that whole time. And the church found out, and they kind of took her, and they said, look, you can go on, a, uh, on tour with us, but we're going to ask that you don't actually perform. We're going to let you come on tour with us, but we can't let you perform on stage because this is happening in your life right now. And she was completely aware of what was going on. She saved. She knew the Lord. She knew it was wrong, just didn't care. Heard the word, but never did anything about it. So she went on tour, and all this happened. We get to camp, and you could tell the first, first day, and she, something was just heavy on her heart. And so the, they ended up going through the, the, the chapel. We went through chapel. We had invitation. And she comes forward, and she's just bawling her eyes out after service. And the next day, same thing. Comes forward, just bawling her eyes out. And then one of the counselors came to me and said, just so you know. I didn't know this was happening, by the way. I didn't know that going into the camp. All I knew is that there were some students that had some things to work out. They came forward and said, just so you know. This is what was going on. She's already rededicated her life to the Lord. She's surrendered that. She's given up that lifestyle. 
she's admitting that it's wrong. She doesn't want to do that anymore. And as soon as she gets home, she's going to break up with that girl. I mean, can you tell me how excited, can you tell how excited I was? It was just so overjoyed to see someone just give in to the Holy Spirit and say, I just want to do whatever you want me to do. One night, they performed their drama for the camp. And because she hadn't actually broke up with the girl yet and hadn't been serious about it as far as making it actually happen, they didn't let her perform that night, which I'm totally fine with, by the way. But the leader of the group, uh, Tracy is her name. She usually stands in the back of the church and kind of leads them, kind of with them, you know, as they're doing their thing, the sign language. She went up to this girl before service and said, hey, why don't you take my spot tonight? It was so heartbreaking, but so cool to see this girl in the back of the room, just passionately leading them. And I'm looking at the students on the stage, and they're just tearing up, and they're getting excited. They're getting emotional. We had a chance. We got home Saturday night. Sunday morning, we go to church with them. And in Sunday school, I went up to her, and she said, I want, just want you to know I did it last night. I broke up with her. Now, why would I share that story? Why would I even want to tell you that? Because I believe that when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, it's hard sometimes to do. It takes life change. It takes decisions. But when you make those decisions for Christ, he will honor it and he will glorify himself through your life. And this girl, at 15 years old, made a decision and did some things that many of us would struggle to do today. But she was so serious about what God was doing. She said, I'm not going to wait. We got home at 11 o'clock. Thomas told me later, the counselor, he said that she texted him at like 12.30 and said it's done. She didn't even wait till Sunday to do it. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything that God is working on you about? Is there anything you need to come and bend a knee and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm surrendering that. I just want to do good for your glory. Or are you just going to continue to sit in your apathy? Sit in your selfish thinking and pride and say, yeah, I know I'm not doing good, but I just don't care. Some of you are like, man, I'm trying. <laughs> Thank God for his grace that when I fail and when I fall, he picks me up. Because listen, you're not perfect. You're never going to be perfect. It's not about being perfect. It's about striving to do good for his glory. And when you fall and when you fail, you fall back on your face and you say, God, I thank you that I'm still saved by grace. Thank you that you still love me. And we need to understand this. We don't work and do the good to keep our salvation. We do good to show our salvation so that others may see it and come to know Christ for themselves. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And as the band comes and we have a time of invitation, I want to ask you, as you just have your head bowed there, when you read James chapter 4, verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So let me ask you this morning, is the Holy Spirit leading you in any way? Is there any area in your life where you know you're not doing good? I'm not talking about beating yourself up or tearing yourself down or condemning yourself. But in Christ Jesus, you are saved. You know Christ is your Savior. And your desire, the desire of your heart is to do good for the glory of God. But you would admit between you and God 
this morning that you're not there, that that's not what you're doing, then maybe you need to come this morning and say, God, would you help me to do good? Remind me that I'm driven by love, not fear. But help me to know that when I understand who you are in my life, that you require a sense of fear, respect. I pray that I would honor you in all things. Father, I pray that as we gather this morning with just a simple message, but I pray that you would instill in us what we need to do this morning. I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, that you would draw them, that they would that they would know that you love them so much, that you died for them on a cross, that you were buried in a tomb and you rose again, that they might find forgiveness of their sins by confessing and repenting of them, calling on your name and asking you to save them by grace. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that they make that decision this morning before they leave. But Father, for the believers here today, those that know Christ, I pray that we would live in a way that would glorify you. Father, we all make mistakes. We all fall. We all stumble in this journey, myself included. But I pray that when we stumble and fall, that we repent, we call out to you, and we move on. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw those that need to make decisions, those that need to surrender. And Father, may you be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? My challenge is simple for you this morning as I've been challenged. Will you come? Will you bend the knee and say, God, I want to do good. I want to live for you, your glory. Decisions that need to be made, convictions. If you're living in some sin right now, come and just say, Lord, I'm surrendering. Don't worry about other people. Some of you might think, well, what if somebody sees me go forward? They think I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We all have struggles. So you just come and pray. You bend the knee. And you say, God, would you use me to do good for your glory?